Welcome back to Between the Killers and Me, your favorite podcast highlighting murder, mystery, and survival. We're your hosts. My name is Eden. And I'm Charlie. And today we're covering the case of the Oklahoma Girl Scouts murders. Before we get into today's episode, we wanted to mention just a couple things. I first wanted to apologize for my voice if I'm a little congested. Thank God it's not my episode to present today. (laughs) Um, I just got over a horrible sinus infection. Uh, So I'm still a little congested, but I will sound crystal clear for next week, hopefully. We also wanted to mention that it looks like our upload days are going to be Friday slash Saturday, whichever one it ends up being. It It will end up being one of those days. Mm -hmm. As well, as you guys know, we have been on SoundCloud for the majority of our podcasts, but you can now find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music, as well as YouTube. We have all of our socials linked in our episode descriptions. Comment on YouTube if there are any other platforms you'd like to see us on. Next, I found out that Spotify lists us include a Q&A box with each episode. So we'll add a relevant question each episode, and we would love for your engagement. Eden and I really enjoy discussing the cases with one another, so we would tell, really tell love to hear you from think. you guys. Your opinions, your speculations. It's always fun to kind of like get everybody's input on it. I Every time I release an episode, I immediately go to my boyfriend, and I'm like, what did you think about it? Tell me your thoughts. And I, and <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, that's all we wanted to mention, really. So let's get into today's case. Heck yeah. Trigger warning about this case. Just before we dive deep into it, this case does mention rape, murder, and crimes involving children as well. So just to let you know, forewarning, if this is not your thing to listen about, we will be talking about it in this case today. On June 12, 1977, Lori Farmer, aged 8, Michelle Gousset, aged 9, and Denise Milner, aged 10, were filled with excitement as they embarked on a journey to their Girl Scout camp near Locust Grove, northeast of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Expecting two weeks of activities and fun on their first Girl Scout trip, the young girls had no idea of the tragedy that awaited them. Nestled just two miles from town in Mays County, Camp Scott had been a beloved retreat for Girl Scouts since 1928. For generations, young girls had flocked to the camp for their annual two-week getaway. While some thought of the camp as eerie and a little intimidating, most fell in love with the camp's natural beauty and the opportunities it offered. But to the campers arriving on that sunny June day, they had no knowledge of the weird incidents that happened months prior in April. In the months leading up to the fateful trip, there were several concerning incidents reported surrounding Camp Scott. One of the tents had been found with a slash, while others noticed their belongings had gone missing and strange noises could be heard around the campsite. These incidents should have set off alarms, but they were all dismissed as funny pranks. However, the most alarming incident occurred when a counselor discovered that food had been stolen, and in its place was a chilling note stating, quote, We are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one, end quote. Tragically, the note would prove to be a deadly warning. Now, before I, like, fully dive into the case... What are your, like, speculations from what I've already, like, mentioned so far? So it seems like there's, like, a stalker at the camp. Like, maybe, like, a disgruntled ex-employee. Mm-hmm. So a tent was found slashed, and then other people's belongings were going missing. Yep. My thoughts are, like, disgruntled ex-employee. That's really my only theory so far, I guess. Because it's, like, why would someone do this? Unless they're, like, a creep. 
and like being creepy to little girls because that's often a thing too. So I guess we'll find out. I will say that the previous incidents before June are all just like very weird. It's just like honestly a really weird case. Yeah, it's like what what's going on? And We're on a, knows. They're on a mission to kill three girls? For Unfortun- why? Unfortunately, it, that's what happens. Fast forward to the present. As night fell on June 12th, a thunderstorm rumbled through the area, and the girls and their counselors settled down to sleep for the night. To ensure the safety of the Girl Scouts, the counselors arranged the tents in a circle around their own sleeping quarters. Ten-year-old Denise Milner, along with eight-year-old Lori Lee Farmer and nine-year-old Michelle Heather Gousse, were in the farthest tent from the counselors. During the middle of the night, one of the counselors, Carla Wilhite, was roused from her sleep by a strange, guttural moaning sound outside. She investigated, but seeing nothing unusual in the dark forest around her, she dismissed it as the sounds of a wild animal. However, she wasn't the only one to hear something unusual. At approximately 1.30 a.m., several campers also heard the ominous moaning, and roughly half an hour later, a camper was awoken by the sound of someone opening the tent flaps with a flashlight. Then, around 3 a.m., a camper heard a scream coming from the tent shared by Milner and her friends. At the same time, another camper heard someone crying out for their mother. Despite their fears, the young girls were unsure of what to do and simply went back to sleep. In the morning around 6 a.m., counselor Carla Wilhite headed to the camp showers when she stumbled upon a gruesome sight. The bodies of Michelle, Denise, and Lori were discovered lying dead on the trail going towards the showers about 150 yards from their tent. Lori and Michelle were found stuffed into the bottom of their sleeping bags while Denise was left out in the open. The young girls had been brutally raped, bludgeoned, and strangled to death. Wilhite was horrified by what she saw and immediately ran for help. During the autopsies, it was discovered that Lori, Michelle, and Denise had suffered from blunt force trauma to the head, and it was found that Denise was also strangled with a ligature. Additionally, all three girls had been sexually assaulted. The investigation revealed the attacks occurred inside the tent, and the three girls' bodies were later moved to the trail they were ultimately found on. During the investigation, a trove of evidence was uncovered. A red flashlight was discovered on top of the girls' bodies, with a smudged fingerprint on the lens that could not be identified. The flashlight's batteries had been wrapped in newspaper to prevent them from making noise, and the girls' tent was found covered in blood with a shoe print left behind in blood measuring 9.5 in size. Although I did a little bit of research to kind of figure out if this was like a woman's 9.5 shoe size or a man's 9.5 in shoe size, I, I believe it was a man's, but... That's just kind of like a speculation of mine. I'm not completely sure if that actually is a man. So let's keep this in mind. A wider search of the 400-acre camp yielded duct tape, rope, and women's glasses. Nearby, a cave was found that showed signs of habitation, with newspapers found inside that matched the newspapers used to wrap the flashlight batteries. The cave was also marked with chilling words scrawled on the wall. Quote, The killer was here. Bye-bye, fools. 77617. End quote. So when... I read that quote. I immediately thought of a Bible quote. So I did a little research. I found like a passage that is 77, 6, 17. Okay. I have it in here. Okay. We can discuss it, come back, and then you can let me know if you think that it correlates. The passage is from Psalm 77 in the Bible, and it is a prayer of lamination questioning God's faithfulness and mercy. The speaker is struggling with doubt and despair, wondering if God has abandoned them. 
However, the speaker ultimately finds hope in remembering God's past deeds and miracles and acknowledges God's power and greatness. It's like difficult to determine whomever the killer is and what the killer's intention in referencing the passage and or a date, I thought it was the passage, without like any further context because like I said, that quote was just 77, 617, no more, no less. But I think it's possible it can be two different things that the killer was drawn to the passage themes of like doubt, despair, and hope and had found solace in the quote. Or alternately, he may have referenced it, he or she, may have referenced it as a way to justify his actions or express his own doubts and despair. As someone who wasn't raised with Christianity, that's not where my mind goes. To me, it just reads like someone signing off a date, like, peace out, bitches, bye, this is the day I was here. So it's interesting to hear, like, a point of view for someone who did some research and figured out, like, what that passage would mean. I think it does connect well with someone, for example, a disgruntled ex-employee who's upset they've been fired or something Mm -hmm. someone's wronged them i think that does provide a motive at least like or suggest a motive i mean with the saying like what the passage is i'm kind of like maybe i like that i think it just uh, it does suggest a bit of a motive this person's uh down on their luck they're Mm -hmm. upset what will they do now back into the case Police investigators conducted hundreds of interviews, combed the woods for clues, and followed up on numerous leads as news about the horrific case spread across the nation. On June 23, 1977, police named Jean Leroy Hart, a 33-year-old convicted burglar and rapist, as the main suspect in the case. Hart had a documented history of violence, which included rape, as I just mentioned. He was arrested for the kidnap and rape of two pregnant women in Tulsa, only to get out on parole shortly after. He found himself in jail once more on a burglary charge, but managed to escape in 1973. Hart was a native of Locust Grove and a part of the Cherokee Nation who was now facing three first-degree murder charges. The district attorney announced that investigators found a nearby cave that contained items potentially stolen from the camp, and authorities claimed that the cave was connected Hart, who was an expert woodsman and had many family members living in the area, including his mother. The trial for capital murder of Jean Leroy Hart reopened the wounds of the Oklahomans and brought back memories of the gruesome crime. The courthouse was swarmed by media, providing extensive coverage of the trial that was held on the third floor with Judge William J. Whistler presiding over it. Garvin Isaacs, a former Oklahoma County public defender, was heading the defense team. The Hart family recommended Isaacs, and during their first meeting, Hart insisted that he was not the killer, and Isaacs believed him and took on the case. As the trial progressed, a growing number of supporters and community members also believed in Hart's innocence. They organized a community hog fry dinner to raise funds for his defense and wore t-shirts with the message, quote, Stop the Maze County Railroad, end quote indicating their belief that Hart was being used as a scapegoat by the police. The Cherokee Tribal County even donated $12,500 to the defense team. The case hinged on two types of evidence. First, there were items discovered at a nearby cave less than three miles away from the camp, which included a pair of women's glasses a lot of people believe belonged to one of the pregnant women Hart assaulted, a roll of tape that matched the tape found at the crime scene, and some pictures linked to Hart, who had previously worked in a photo lab at the prison where he was serving time for burglary. 
Additionally, biological evidence, including semen and hair samples, was found on the victims, and a footprint, like I mentioned before, was discovered in the mud as well in blood after the thunderstorm on the evening of the murders. Although DNA evidence was not yet in use and hair evidence had been discredited as a forensic technique, the police did not have conclusive proof that Hart had committed the crime, and there was no clear fingerprints. The defense capitalized on this and put the prosecution on trial arguing that the hair was inconclusive, the footprint did not match the size of Hart's foot, and the evidence found in the cave was not convincing beyond a reasonable doubt. On March 20th, 1979, the jury delivered an astonishing verdict that he was not guilty. The prosecution attempted to console the families by noting that Hart was still going to serve over 300 years for previous rape and burglary charges and would not be released. Despite being found not guilty of the Oklahoma Girl Scouts murder, Jean Leroy Hart was still sentenced to 305 years in prison for previous rape and burglary charges. However, he died of a heart attack in the prison exercise yard in June 1979. Two of the victims' families sued the Magic Empire Council, which ran the Girl Scouts of Eastern Oklahoma for $5 million, alleging negligence. However, jurors voted 9-3 in favor of Magic Empire. After the incident, Richard Gousset, the father of Michelle Heather Gousset, was instrumental in helping the state legislator pass the Oklahoma Victims' Bill of Rights. Additionally, he founded the Oklahoma Crime Victims' Compensation Board. Sherry Farmer, the mother of Lori Lee Farmer, founded the Oklahoma chapter of the Parents of Murdered Children's Support Group. Camp Scott ultimately closed its doors and never reopened to the public. Today, the gruesome murders that occurred at the camp continue to be studied and scrutinized by amateur investigators who hope to solve the 46-year-old unsolved case. Okay, what, what are we thinking here? What do you speculate happened during this case? My first question for you is, do you think that Jean Leroy Hart is the perpetrator? I feel like he might have. Besides, like, evidence... I need you to convince me more on that. I'm not quite convinced yet because his defense tried to argue that his foot size didn't match up. I read while we were trying to figure out, was that shoe print a men's 9.5 or women's 9.5? I read online that his shoe was an 11 and a half, but the print was a 9 and a half. So I would like to discuss the, like, events of the murder as well. You said the setup for the tents was they set up their tents in a circle and the counselors could see all their tents in the circle formation. I think it was like on one end the counselors were and on the other end was Lori, Michelle, and Denise. During the middle of the night, there's like moaning and gurgling. Mm -hmm. Do you think one person is able to, like granted they are nine and ten year olds, would one person be able to subdue them all? It never mentioned anywhere online or while I was doing my research whether it was man or a woman's shoe. My thing is, what happens if it was a woman's shoe print? Like what happens if it was one of the camp counselors and they went back to their tent and they were like, (gasps) they got murdered? OMG! Because that's how it's, as I was saying as we were going into speculation, this seems like an employee, like an ex-employee. What if it was like a current employee who's having like... two people. Two people, yeah. Because obviously like as a woman you can't rape in the way that they were. So it could be like a woman that was like the shoe print, she was a counselor, she got the, you know, actual killer in and out. Because as well, like previous months back in April, like all this weird stuff was happening... You know, it could as well have been, like, a counselor. 
because yeah. they they've been there the entire time. This was their time to strike. They were in the farthest tent. Do you think one person could have held all three of them back? Because if you're if you're one person and you're occupied with assaulting one girl, are you gonna be able to hold back the other two? They were tied. They were tied. There was duct tape and rope. So that makes it more easy to believe that that was one person because you can tie them all up tape them so they don't make any sound you know and then do your murdering one by one because my thing because it was blunt force trauma to the head yes unless this person came into the tent hit them all on the head yeah well and they were still alive they were still conscious which is the guttural moaning the weird sounds coming from the tent and, you know, maybe even instead of the blunt force trauma, they were maybe even kept silent by someone, probably Jean, being like, shut up or else I'll kill you. And then that could have been the one girl crying out for her mom. And then he just taped them to keep them silent throughout the rest of the attack, maybe. And then he raped them and then completely, like, killed them. And then my only thing is, like, why would he move them? One man would move all three bodies. Because two of them two were of in, the, the... in the sleeping bags. Yes. So he could be carrying two of them. So they couldn't have run out on their own. No. So they were found 150 yards. So you think that he was carrying them in the, like, sleeping bags, like, a sack of potatoes over his shoulders sort of thing as he was leaving? Like, but there's only two of them. Because Den- where was the was other Denise. one found? Denise was on top of the sleeping bag. She was, like, the one that was out. Carla, the camp counselor, first when she was on the trail, it was Denise that she saw. Because Denise was not in the sleeping bag. She was, I believe, on top of her sleeping bag. And okay. Denise or and Michelle and Lori were stuffed at the bottom of, of their sleeping bags. So that would, I feel like being stuffed at the bottom would correlate with being picked up as if you were a sack of potatoes in your sleeping bag. That makes sense. But with Denise being on top of her sleeping bag, do you think she could have fallen out and he just was like, oh, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to leave them here then or like. My only thing is I'm not going to say this like as a credible thing, but I also saw somewhere where apparently they had found like one of the girls had also been assaulted differently. So they kind of were like, maybe it was like favoritism and i'm just kind of like wondering if it might have been denise or even like it could have been favoritism or it could have even been two people because if you're carrying like a sack of potatoes like you got one girl over each shoulder and then the other person's carrying the third girl because like maybe like you said it's a man and a woman who committed the crime the man takes each of the girls like a sack of potatoes and the woman takes the third girl decides they're too heavy and so they decide to just leave the bodies there and drop them as they were carrying them i don't know if one person could have done this what do you think about that kind of like i don't think it was one person either the more research i did it was like gene gene did it the murder of the three girls they said that there was semen and hair found at the scene oh wait wait here we go in 1989 dna testing was conducted that showed three of the five probes matched Hart's DNA. Statistically, DNA from one in 7,700 Native Americans would obtain these results. In 2008, authorities conducted new DNA testing stains found on a pillowcase, which proved inconclusive because the samples were too deteriorated. In 2022, authorities made public that DNA evidence strongly suggests Hart's involvement. 
So. Yeah, and it says, the case remained unsolved, but there were hopes of a breakthrough in 2008 when DNA tests on pillowcase evidence appeared to show a partial female DNA profile. Oh my gosh. Is this proving our, unless it's one of the girls, but like. That seems to me that there was a female and a male who committed the crime. Ranker.com detailed that although experts were able to confirm the DNA did not belong to two of the victims, they could not exclude the possibility the DNA could belong to the third victim. This website that I'm on, Newsweek.com. Sherry Farmer, mother of Lori Lee Farmer, has always suspected there may have been a female present at the time of her daughter's death. Speaking to the Oklahoman, Sherry Farmer stated, quote, I've always felt in my gut that there was a girl present given the DNA results. You have to wonder if there wasn't also a female who took part in the murders. So we're not the only ones who've ever speculated about this then. Well, because like my thing is like, I'm not fully eliminating heart. Like, no, because like, like as it seems, the DNA seems to pre- like present to him did he have a woman even the family's like i think that there was an, a second perpetrator there a woman because i believe all of the counselors who went on the girls trip were also female like i don't think there was ever a male counselor with them you know maybe one of the counselors also was present for the murder and then was like oh no they got murdered weird anyways because like I said, I'm going to believe, I'm going to choose to believe, since they never ever specified this, like the shoe size, it could have been a nine and a half shoe size in a woman's. There's still, a man and there's a woman still. If it's a nine and a half women's, or even if the blood on the pillowcase, even if the blood on the pillowcase points to a female suspect, then I am still not sold that it was just like one person on their own. My thing is, he went to the tent. He hit each of the girls on the head. They were like obviously harmed. They weren't going to get up. They're still alive, but they had head trauma. Like they were not going to get up. Yeah. He assaulted three of them and then possibly took them out of the tent, killed them elsewhere, and then just happened to drop them on the trail. Because my thing is, doesn't matter if you're like a heavy or not sleeper, I feel like you can hear the sound of somebody cracking somebody's head. My thing, I think it was the flashlight, just because if you had it on you, you'd use that, right? Like, why would you carry an extra crowbar with you? Whomever murdered them was really smart, because as well, over the flashlight, I probably should have mentioned this, but there was tape over the flashlight to dim the light. Okay. So, unless they had put tape on, like, right outside they the were tent. going to murder they that they, was their plan they they had, were leaving messages they, they were, going were to planning this they whomever knew what they were doing they knew to dim their lights they knew to put newspaper in their flashlight like they were on a mission to kill somebody yeah so now it's pointing to be this one guy it's so like, they're, like they're, we're never going to get answers unless, like, the DNA testing is fully released one day. It is very recently, like, being tested. So maybe we'll get some answers later on about, like, who actually did it. At least being, like, it was female DNA or yeah, could this you DNA imagine? really points towards Jean. 
with Jean being someone who has like committed other crimes before as well. This person went there with a plan to murder. They knew what they were doing. If it were Jean, would he have this type of experience from his other crimes that would aid him in this murder? I feel like we could link it to that because he kidnapped and raped two pregnant women. Plus, like I mentioned, he was experienced in the woods. So like he knows what he's doing in the woods, for one. He could have applied what he did to the pregnant women to this case. Because like I said, if you were just like stumbled across camp and you there were like girls, you're like, I want to rape them. The case would be a lot more sloppy. Whereas whomever did this knew to dim their flashlights, knew to put newspaper between the batteries to make sure that there was no rattling, to have rope and duct tape and all of this stuff to make it very difficult for people to pinpoint who actually did it. And I mean, the only thing that I couldn't really think about would be the footprint, not because it wasn't heart size, but if you're a woodsman, you know how to cover your tracks, you know how to follow tracks, which means you wouldn't have left that one footprint. Like, honestly, maybe my excuse for him is maybe he was in a frenzy. He was like, oh, I just murdered three people. Gotta get the fuck out of here before, like, like, shit, that was a lot of noise that I made, you know, like, and he just, like, didn't realize he left a footprint. Or, like, maybe, you know, it was someone else. You're thinking it was a, a second person? I mean, it could have been Jean, because, like, murder is completely different from rape. You literally just killed three people. You will go to jail for the rest of your life. Like, he got and out especially on parole even, after like, he kidnapped and raped two pregnant women. Like, I'm sure he knew, like, if he just raped the three of them, like, yeah, he'd go to jail, but he'd be out in, like, a year. Did they ever look into the incidents that happened before the murders at all? Like in April, did they look into the note that was left or the I head being slashed? A lot of people just thought it was just a funny prank. A lot of the counselors thought that they were just like, they were just dismissed as funny pranks. But obviously months later, what was going on, like those incidents in camp were actually like signs. And I'm just going to say that no, no police were involved during April. It was all just, haha, so funny. Not really, but... These are pranks, like, whatever. Because before this, Camp Scott had been up and running since 1928. It was the first year that anything weird was going on, so a lot of people just were like, okay, ha ha, so funny. And then after April, it died down, and then obviously May went by, nothing, June. That's when something went down, and obviously police were like, whoa, what happened in April? This is weird. But everybody was like, eh. I mean, we just thought it was funny. Like, somebody was just doing it for fun to mess with people. Oh, my God. Like, someone literally left left a note being like, I'm going to kill three Girl Scouts. And you don't think, oh, that's kind of concerning. I don't know. A lot of people have, quote, unquote, dark humor. But yeah, since I think that, like, it's a beloved retreat, they've been doing this for years and years and years. And I, I don't think, like, the counselors were, like, in their 50s or anything. Like, I think these were young adults. I think a lot of the time Yeah, they the probably time, didn't know what they were like, doing. Even teenagers. They probably were even teenagers. You know, and I think, like, people were just, like, haha, funny joke, whatever. I don't think they would have taken it so literally. But obviously now, like, I feel like if that actually were to have happened, people would be like, what the shit? Who left this? This is concerning. So, final thoughts. 
Do you think Gene was involved then, Mr. Hart? I believe he was. I think so too. But the... At first, I wasn't so convinced. I was like, what does he have to do with us? I do speculate that maybe there might have been someone else. And that's up for speculation. It could have been perhaps a counselor or even you mentioned that he had family in the area. Literally, or even he could have just brought a pal along with him from wherever he came from initially. But even then, we have kind of speculated throughout this whole episode on the involvement of a second person. And I think that the female blood found on the pillow, as well as a family member believes that perhaps there was a second person, perhaps a female involved. So, you know, it's up for speculation, maybe. Like I said, I don't think we'll ever find out, unfortunately. This case is super unsolved. And I think the only thing that we'll ever get solidified is, was that DNA genes? And Mm -hmm. I think they're working on that. I mean, I hope that they get it solved, that the girls get the justice they deserve. They find out who actually murdered them. But unfortunately, as of right now, it's still pretty unsolved. A lot of weird speculation around it. Nobody knows for sure, for sure what actually went down on June the 12th, 1977. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I had a lot of fun discussing and discussing learning about this case. Speculating. And speculating. And again, we would love to hear your thoughts about it. So feel free to respond to the Q&A. We would love to hear your thoughts. Looks like we'll be back next Friday. So I'm looking forward to it. So we'll see you next Friday. We're having a blast and we hope you guys do too. So have a good rest of your week. And we'll see you next week. Peace out. Don't forget to follow us and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube.